Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Ben. I'm the campus pastor here at our Noblesville campus, and I want to start this morning by asking you a question. How do you feel about new? Do you like new? Do you like getting something new? Do you like tasting something new? I'm guessing if you're like most people, the answer is a resounding yes. And marketers have certainly figured out our love for new. The next time you're at the store, I want you to pay attention and watch for how many products are somehow labeled new. And it might be the exact same thing that you have always bought. And the only thing that they really changed was the label or maybe the packaging. But they, they say, hey, it's, it's brand new. And we see those things and we think, I've never drank Coke out of a bottle that looked like that before. I want to try that. It's new. We crave new. Now, if you don't think that's true, let's take a little test this morning. And it's multiple choice. Uh, but if you had to choose between your old car, okay, maybe it's dripping a little oil, a little rust starting to show through, AC's not as cold as it used to be. But you could choose between that old car or the exact same make and model, but brand new off the assembly line. I mean, new car smell and all. Which one would you choose? Would you pick your old car or would you take new? Well, I think most of us would take new, wouldn't we? How about your clothes? What if uh, you could choose between, between everything old that's in your closet, that trusty turtleneck that's kept you warm on so many cold days, ladies, those culottes you've had forever, uh, or you could choose all, I don't even know what culottes are. I hope that's appropriate. Uh, <laughs> or you could, you could pick a brand new wardrobe from your favorite clothing store. I mean, all new clothes. Which one would you pick? Would you take the old stuff or would you go new? I bet you'd pick new. Men, think about that old grill on your back patio. I mean, the grates are just rusted out. The burners won't light. The drip pan's been cleaned like never. And you could pick that old grill or you could get a brand new stainless steel model with a side burner and a bun warmer. I mean, who doesn't like their buns warmed, right? Which one would you pick? Would you take the old or would you take new? I'll tell you right now, I'd go new. One more. Parents, how about those kids? I mean, what if you could take those whiny old kids or you could get some new obedient ones? Which one would you take? I'm just kidding. Kind of. The point is this. Most of us love new, don't we? I mean, we love getting something new. We love experiencing something new. And we're so interested in the new. Think about when you see somebody that you haven't seen for a while. What's the first thing that we ask them? Hey, what's new with you? We love hearing about new. And you know what I think? I think, I think we get our love for new from our creator. I mean, we serve a creative God, and he is all about new, new life, new mission, new focus. In Isaiah 43, God spoke to the people of Israel, and uh, he spoke to them through the prophet Isaiah. And I want you to listen to what he says. He says, starting in verse 18, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. And you need to know that these were words that were spoken to people who knew what it was like to be in the wilderness. The nation of Israel had been taken as slaves by the Babylon uh, Empire, and their lives had become a wasteland. The Lord had allowed this because of Israel's sin and their rebellion against 
God. But even in his correction, the Lord gives hope. He says, you know what? Your past is what it is. You can't go back. You can't change it. But don't dwell there. Don't dwell on the past. If you turn to me and if you trust me, you'll see that I'm doing something new. And that new thing that God was doing was ultimately and fully realized when Jesus Christ came on the scene and he offered new life and he modeled a new way to live and a new way to love. God is all about new. So the question I wanna ask you this morning is this, what's new with you? What's new with you? Because if you're a follower of Jesus, new should be your reality. I'm not talking about filling your life with stuff, just empty things, but are you experiencing the newness that God wants to bring about in your life. Because part of being a disciple is understanding that we don't stay the same. We don't dwell on the past. We don't get stuck in the present. We're ever changing more and more into the likeness of Christ. We're always moving more into his character, more into his attitude, more into his purpose. And we're learning to walk as Jesus walked. If we're not experiencing continual newness in life, we're just stagnant. And that's not what God wants for us. And so this morning, to illustrate how God is all about new, I want to use something that we've shared here before. We call it the four chairs. And it comes from a book called Four Chair Discipling by Dan Spader. This is the method that we've chosen uh, in our vision to become a disciple-making church. And I know several of you have heard this before, but we need to keep coming back to this because this is something that we really want you to understand and embrace and even be able to explain to other people. When we talk about being a disciple and when we talk about making disciples, we look at Jesus as our model. And we look at four major challenges that Jesus gave to his followers as he was making disciples out of them. We like to explain this strategy by looking at each one of these chairs as a challenge. And we're going to start this morning uh, in John 1, verse 39. If you want to follow along as we look at these things, there are some Bibles under the seats around you. If you didn't bring a Bible, we'll also put the verses on the screens. But you can know as we come to John chapter 1 that John the Baptist, and this is a different John than the gospel writer John, but John the Baptist has been baptizing people, and he's been preaching this message, repent, because the kingdom of God is near. And so as he was teaching that, and as he was baptizing, baptizing people one day, Jesus came walking by. And John says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And when he says that, two of John's disciples, uh, Andrew and John, uh, became curious. And they followed after Jesus. And they asked him, Jesus, where are you staying? And Jesus responds with these words from John 1, 39. He says, come and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent the day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. And the challenge of chair one is simply this, come and see. Come and see. Jesus knew that Andrew and John had questions. He knew that they were interested in spiritual things. And so he doesn't just tell them where he's staying. He could have done that, right? I'm staying at so-and-so's house, and then just walk away. No, he doesn't do that. He invites them to come and see, to spend time with them. He, he invites them to ask questions and to learn more about who he was and what he was doing. And we would call a person in chair one a seeker. That's what Andrew and John were. They were seekers. They were interested in spiritual things, but not yet following Jesus. And maybe that describes you. Because we've got chair one people uh, right here at Genesis Church, people who are seeking and asking questions. And I want you to know this, and we need to make this very clear. 
chair one is not a bad chair. It's not a bad place to be. In fact, we all start in chair one. We all start as a seeker. And of course, staying in chair one forever isn't what God has for you. It's not what he desires for you. But chair one in and of itself is not a bad place to be. It's where we start to address you know, our questions. It's where we start to address our doubts and our fears. And we're looking for information. Who is this Jesus? And if you would say that you're in chair one right now, I want to say to you, keep asking those questions. Keep on seeking. Get in a group and ask more questions. Keep learning about Jesus. Our challenge to you is the same as Jesus' challenge to Andrew and John. Just come and see. Come and see. And we don't know exactly what Jesus and Andrew and John talked about that day, that first day when they went to see where Jesus was staying. But we do know that Andrew came away from that time and he says, we found him. We found the Messiah. Jesus is the one. And that's what we want to see happen too. We want to help chair one people to know and to trust Jesus Christ. And when a person gets to that point, we say that they have moved from chair one to chair two. And the challenge of chair two is found just a few verses ahead in John 1, 43. It says this. It says, the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. And finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. The challenge of chair two is follow me. And this move marks the the moment when someone has made a decision. They've done the seeking, they've asked the questions, and they've made a decision to follow Jesus. This is the moment when someone moves from death to life. And this is where God starts making things new. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. When you move to chair two, what's new with you? Well, you become a new person. Become a new person. And your identity is now rooted in Christ. And that's what we're excited to celebrate today. I know many of you came uh, because you, you were excited to celebrate baptisms. You know someone who's getting baptized today. And baptism is a picture of spiritual birth. And it's the next move for those who have decided to become followers of Jesus Christ. Folks, we've got 16 people across both of our campuses who are making that bold move today. Can we celebrate that right now? So I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to experience some people moving into this new life with Christ. And Father God, we are so thankful for a day like today when we can be in this place and we can watch and see a a visible picture of what you have done in people's lives and people's hearts as they are baptized, Lord, as they lay down their old life and they say, I'm living for Jesus now. I'm trusting Jesus. I'm surrendering to Jesus. Father, thank you for this celebration of new today. We love you, Lord. It's in Christ's name that we pray these things. Amen. Again, we are so excited to be celebrating this morning with Kevin and Bobby. And uh, before we get started, let me just introduce uh, Kevin to you here real quickly. Kevin says, I've spent the last 40 years wandering living through my own power, I spent a lot of time listening to TV ministries while working on our new home. Jesus used that time to draw me out of my wilderness, and his Holy Spirit did the convicting and healing of my heart. I'm so grateful for this deliverance and the desire to willingly yield all that I am to Christ. I ask him each day to live through me, and each night I thank him for his faithfulness to me. I want to get baptized because I'm starting a new life in Christ. 
His spirit has laid it upon my spirit that it is necessary for me. Well, uh, we are excited uh, to share this moment with you today. Some of you have met Kevin Jacks. Maybe you heard his story back. Uh, it's probably been a, a month ago uh, that he shared it here on a Sunday. Love what the Lord's doing in your life. Kevin, will you please repeat after me? I believe that Jesus is the Christ. I believe that Jesus is the Christ. The Son of the living God. The Son of the living God. My Lord and Savior. My Lord and Savior. this morning we have Bobby Nichols. Bobby says, I grew up in churches and knew about Christ my whole life. However, I did not have a strong relationship with Christ. I put myself, money, and work before everything, thinking because I believed in Christ, I was doing the right things. I would work late hours and not care about how my family felt and just do things that I wanted, even if it meant that it would hurt others. This pattern of living put me and my family in a very difficult place. I was on the verge of losing everything. My wife of 11 years, kids, and my job of five and a half years. Only then did I realize how much I needed God. He was the only one who could help. Only God could help me understand how selfish I had been. This realization began to change me. I learned that my kids and my wife still loved me, and for the first time I felt humbled and just wanted to be grateful for everything I had taken for granted. I knew right then and there that God was holding us together and that I am loved by him. My wife and I were separated for a short time. I had to get healthy. As I got healthier, I was able to see the kids, which meant a lot of belly laughs, love, and prayers. As the kids grew stronger and my confident wife began to trust me, we went to counseling together. I now realize that God intended me to lead my family with him first and that we need God in every aspect of our lives and decisions. I will never be perfect. However, I know God loves me and has a plan for me. He restored my family after I put him first. I'm being baptized today as a way of acknowledging that I put my trust in Christ and I want to follow him for the rest of my life. Love that story, uh, Bobby. And he's, he makes all things new, doesn't he? Yes, he and, does. Yeah. Uh, we are excited to have you a part of this family and I just love what God's doing in your life. Will you repeat after me? I believe that Jesus is the Christ. I believe that Jesus is the Christ. The Son of the living God. The Son of the living God. My Lord and Savior. My Lord and Savior. Well, can we stand together and celebrate the goodness of the Lord and what he's doing in the hearts of our church family this morning?
Firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace. When fears are still, when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all. Here in the love of Christ I stand.
all can be seated. Uh, certainly, you know, we, these Sundays when we get to celebrate baptism are always special. Our church always looks forward to the, the, the big celebration that it is. And we should celebrate because it means someone has moved from death to life, from darkness to light. They've become a new person. And uh, we're going to keep celebrating that this morning. But I think that the way that we celebrate baptisms should be more like the way that we celebrate high school graduation. And I know that we're kind of out of high school graduation season now, but think back a few months. Maybe you went to a graduation or to an open house and think about that experience. You go and you congratulate the person, you eat some cake, but then always comes the question, what's next? right? We always want to know what's next. What are your plans? Where are you going to school? What career path are you going down? What's next? Because graduation is really important, but it's not the end. It's not the end of the journey. It's just the beginning. But I'm afraid that in the church, we often view baptism as the end game. You get saved, you get baptized, and then you sit around and wait for Jesus to come back, right? Wrong. Baptism is not the end. Baptism is the beginning. It's the starting line. When we move into chair two, we don't stop learning. We don't stop growing. In fact, learning and growing, that's what chair two is all about. When we think of baptism as a spiritual birth, well, a person in chair two is a spiritual infant. And they're learning how to stand on their own two feet. And they're learning how to feed themselves on the word of God and how to dress themselves in the full armor of God. See, chair two, it's a great chair. It's a really important chair. But in a lot of ways, it's a really comfortable chair. And there are a lot of Christians who never move out of it. But that would be like the graduate who, when you ask what's next, they say, nothing. I'm just going to live in my mom's basement and play video games. What? I want my gift back, right? That's just weird. I mean, that's not what you spent the last 18 years of your life preparing for. But that's kind of what it would be like to stay in chair two forever. Chair two is not a bad place to be, but there's more. And so when the time was right, Jesus challenged his followers to move out of the comfort of chair two and into the work of chair three. In Matthew 4, 19, after Peter had spent a year and a half to two years following along with Jesus, learning and growing with Jesus, he said this, Jesus said this to Peter. He said, follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. See, chair two is all about growing personally, but a chair three person is someone who is ready to help others grow. And the challenge of chair three is this. It's the call to go and to fish for people. A chair three person is what we would call around here a kingdom worker. And it's a person who focuses not on growing their own faith only, but also on helping others grow in their faith. It's someone who's learning how to help others follow Jesus. Someone who's ready to see others have new life in Christ. And when you move to chair three, what's new with you? Well, new priorities. You have all new priorities. God desires that every follower would eventually become a kingdom worker, that our priorities would change to align with the priorities of Jesus, that that our priority would be to to help people find their way back to God. And I want to share with you one group of, of people in our church that's really modeling this for the rest of us. Several students in our high school ministry have spent the last year talking about what it means to be a kingdom worker. And I want you to hear it from them. I want you to hear what they've been learning and how they've been putting it into practice. So if you would help me and uh, welcome to the stage my friends Corbin and Lily. Come on up here, you guys. 
And as they're coming up, I, I want to tell you uh, what they did this past summer. Our high school students went to a week-long camp together called Move. And the theme of that week of camp was actually uh, becoming a kingdom worker. And it just lined up perfectly with what we'd already been talking about here. And then after that, that week of camp, uh, week at Move, they gave up another week of their summer to serve at our Spring Hill Day Camp. And you guys served over 100 kids at that week. So tell me a little bit about, tell us a little bit about what you learned at Move about being a kingdom worker. Um, so probably what I um, took away from Move the most would be that it doesn't take you being um, super special to be a kingdom worker. Um, it just takes faith um, and actually following um, God's call and like what you should be doing um, and not being afraid uh, of what's going to happen and really just sticking with what his plan is and being faithful. Um, I would definitely agree with Corbin how um, we just have to follow God's plan. And what I learned from that is um, this verse that I, we all were given on this wrench. It's Ephesians 2.10. And it's, um, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good work, good work that he has prepared for us beforehand. And so when um, we, were, we went to move, we found that um, we can just follow God's plan. And not only that, but he has already prepared it for us. So it's not like we have to go and do things that we think are right, but it's that what God has already given us that we should do for others. And so um, it empowered me to um, feel confident, confident in being a kingdom worker. And um, also, it's, it was really cool to see um, the other kingdom workers around me, like Corbin is a kingdom worker, I'm a kingdom worker, and we're all kingdom workers and we're working to work, um, build God's kingdom together. And so, yeah. That's really good, because I think sometimes, Corbin, like you said, you know, we can think you gotta have some kind of special skill or some kind of special gift to be able to move into the work of God, but what you learned was, no, it's, it's for everybody. And Lily, that, you know, it's not a plan that we have to come up with. It's a good work that God already has for us to do. We just get on board with his plan. Now, I mentioned that you guys served at Spring Hill Day Camps. I don't know if everyone knows or remembers, but that was literally the last week of your summer vacation. And the reality for most kids in the summertime is they get to that last week and they're freaking out. Like, we wanna do everything fun that we didn't do already this summer. That's not what you guys did. Tell me about how you took what you learned uh, at MOVE and then you put it into practice. Well, um, just the thing, I mean, Spring Hill was really fun for me, so it's not like I was giving up my summer. And um, when I went to Spring Hill, I knew that I had to take what I learned and put it into practice. I couldn't just say it, I had to do it. And so I just intentionally loved on the kids um, that I was a CIT for. And when I loved like Jesus did, when I walked like Jesus did and did what um, he had planned for me, I saw amazing results. And I just felt, um, I felt like I was doing something. And so, um, yeah, I, I just applied the, the plan part into Spring Hill. Yeah, that's great. And I think it's really important, too, that we don't just hear this stuff, but then we go and we put it into action. And that's what you guys did. Corbin, if you were to sum up uh, just very briefly, what does it mean to be a kingdom worker? What would you say? Um, I'd say that a kingdom worker um, is someone who does things for God, with God, um, and doesn't think twice about it. Like, it's, it's not something that you do for anyone else, not for yourself. It's just for other people and for him um, to build his kingdom. And I think that uh, it's just all about God and that none of it um, is about you or like your desires or anything that you want to do. It's just 
um, being with him and doing things for him and bringing other people closer to him. It's great. I want to encourage you guys, keep going, keep pursuing God's plan and, uh, and keep going after it. We're all kind of looking at you guys and you're, uh, you're modeling it for our church. So let's give these guys a hand. Thanks for coming up here. You know, Corbin and, Corbin and Lily are just two of a group of students who have formed a ministry team around this idea of being a kingdom worker, and they're serious about it. They're serious about reaching out to kids here at church, reaching out to kids at school, reaching out to whoever God brings in their path to help them find their way back to God. And it really is kind of humbling if you think about it, uh, that our students are the ones that we're looking to and that they're the ones leading the way in this. It's, it's awesome and it's humbling at the same time. But the reality is, as an adult, I get distracted. You know, I've got work, I've got, I've got my family, I've got all kinds of different things pulling for my attention. And the reality is, I think, as we enter into adulthood and, uh, and, and this call to be a kingdom worker kind of gets pulled to the wayside. And so I would just say to you this morning, if you have sidestepped that call to be a, a, a chair three kingdom worker, it's not too late. And God's desire is that every follower would, would, would change their priorities that our priorities would line up with the priorities of Jesus, that we would start to spend our time and our effort and our resources on helping people find their way back to God. God's desire is that you would become a kingdom worker. And this is the challenge of chair three, and we want to come alongside of you in it. Uh, you might be saying, you know what, I'm ready. I'm, I'm ready to help others grow in their faith, and uh, I'm ready to be a chair three kingdom worker, but I don't know where to start. Well, I'm really excited to tell you this morning that, uh, that we've been talking about that a lot as a staff of how to, how to help you grow in being a Chair 3 Kingdom worker. And on September 27th, if that's you, if you're ready to become a Chair 3 Kingdom worker, I want you to mark your calendar for that evening because we're going to kick off an event that we're calling our Multiply Gathering. And uh, we want you to be there. We'll start meeting once a month to encourage and pour into our Chair 3 workers. People who are ready to start investing in their friends and their relatives and their coworkers to see them come to Christ and to grow up in Christ. We want to walk this journey together. It's not something that you have to do on your own. So, I hope you'll join us. I hope you'll make it a priority to join us every month for Multiply. You know, we talk about this four-chair strategy of making disciples, and, and clearly there's one chair left that we need to talk about uh, because after Jesus had trained up his followers to be kingdom workers, he issued one more challenge, and it's a challenge that we read in John 15, 8, where it says this. It says, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit showing yourselves to be my disciples. And the challenge of chair four is that we would bear much fruit, bear much fruit. Next weekend, we're gonna start a brand new series here at Genesis Church, and we're gonna spend a lot of time talking about spiritual fruit. What is it? What does that mean? How do I cultivate fruit in my life? But for this morning, you can just know that part of bearing much fruit is being a disciple who is making disciples. And chair, in chair four, what's new? Well, it's a new purpose. We have a new purpose in chair four. A chair four person is a proven disciple maker whose purpose is bearing much fruit. It's a person who has spiritual children and grandchildren and even great grandchildren. When you can look at the disciples that you have made and the disciples that they have made and then the disciples that they have made, you are a chair four disciple maker. But this takes time. It's not something that we just jump right, right up to. It takes intentionality. It takes prayer. And I want you to know it's really hard work. 
And most of us, if we were honest, we're not there yet. We can't look out two and three generations of the disciples that we've made, but we're committed to it. And this is where we're headed. Uh, But we know we've got some work to do. And so as we close this morning, I just want to ask that same question that I started with. What's new with you? What's new with you? Maybe you've been seeking for a while now and you know it's time. You know, gathering information is good. Asking those questions is great. But at some point, this is about faith and it's about surrender. And maybe you've come to the time where you know it's time to make a a move. It's time to embrace new life in Christ. Maybe the new thing that God wants to do in you is that you would move out of chair one, that you would surrender your life to Christ and you would be a follower. Or maybe you've made that commitment to Christ and you've found that new life, but you've been sitting in chair two for years and years. And honestly, it's pretty comfortable there. Well, it's time to start focusing not only on growing yourself, but on helping others to grow too. It's time for some new priorities. And maybe the new thing that God wants to do in you is to make you into a kingdom worker. And maybe that's the commitment that you need to make today. And for all of us, though it may be way ahead in the future, I think it's time for us to set our sights on chair four. That day when when we'll be able to say, my life is bearing much fruit. We've put in the time, we've put in the prayer, we've put in the intentionality, and we can look back and say, I glorified God with my life. I glorified him by bringing him much fruit. I firmly believe that God wants to do a new thing in you and a new thing in me and a new thing in Genesis Church. What chair would you say you're in this morning? And what's your next move? Are you seeking? Are you following? Are you working? Are you making disciples? Or are you just sitting? I want you to know that we're a church that's committing to making disciples who will make disciples because that's what Jesus told us to do. And I heard Francis Chan say one time, he said, Jesus said, make disciples. So I don't want to make excuses. What's your next move? What's new with you? Let me pray for us this morning. Father, as we uh, consider these words, these, these commands of Jesus to come and see, to follow me, Father, to, to, to be a kingdom worker, and Father, to bear much fruit. Lord, as we consider those things and we consider where we're at on this path with you, would you bring to mind right now what that plan is, even that Lily talked about, that it's, it's not something that we come up with, Lord. It's joining you in your work. It's, it's always experiencing that newness of, of more of Christ, more of his attitude, more of his priorities in our life. Father, if we've been sitting still and just becoming stagnant in our faith, would you shake us to action today? Would you draw us forward, Father, into your purpose and into your mission? Lord, we want to bring you glory with our lives. And this is the path that you've laid before us. Find us joining you, Lord, in your work and find us faithful to it. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.